Amen. Do you call him healer? Amen, you do. We pray. Tuesday night at 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock, we're calling a special prayer meeting so that we can declare in prayer what we have just declared in song. That his faithfulness is great, that he is the healer, and healer he will be. And on the eve of the inauguration, in light of all that we are living in, I mean, for a moment, I, I know the headlines can numb us. Can we just be blown away that every state capital is under high alert? How many National Guardsmen are in D.C.? And as our um, nation bulks up militarily, we will bulk up spiritually. And my prayer is this, for anyone, anyone who calls Lake Avenue Church, even remotely your church, is be aware of how many hours you're intaking the news versus how many hours you are intaking God's word and prayer. And I will be honest with you, I will probably watch a lot of TV on Wednesday, all the more reason to spend one hour with my brothers and sisters on Tuesday night as we offer prayers for the nation. It will be a live stream event, so however you're watching us right now on YouTube, Facebook, our normal ways of live stream, please join uh, the leaders of, uh, of our adult ministries, Pastor Janine and others, as they lead us in a time of prayer for our nation. Uh, little did we know that when we decided to be in the book of Nehemiah, how um, accurate the moment would be for this idea of courageous faith. I believe this is a moment for us as followers of Jesus to be courageous in our following of Jesus. The only problem is there are a lot of really unique definitions of what it means to be a courageous Christian out among us. And that's why we at Lake will come back to God's word time and time again to get our ultimate examples of what it means to be found faithful, of what it means to be someone who is courageously following God in a context of difficulty. Last week we did that as we met Nehemiah. We're going to meet him more today in chapter 2, but to remind you, we talked last week that Nehemiah is an example of courageous faith because he had clear eyes and he had a full heart. What made his eyes clear? What made him able to see? We talked about tears as his heart broke for the condition of his people and the reputation of his God. And, and we asked the question, does your heart break? Are you moved to tears for the condition of the people and the reputation of our God? We also talked about his full heart, and we saw his heart in his time of prayer in chapter one, and we saw someone who addresses God to open up his heart, someone who confesses to God not only his own sin, but the sins of all, and someone who is so equipped, so intertied with God's word that his prayers weren't just generic, they were specific, truthful prayers about who God is and what God's promises are. And we have a great example of courageous faith in Nehemiah. And as we've heard several times already this morning, we have a wonderful example of courageous faith in what our nation and what our church and many churches are doing just for moments during services to remember the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I do recommend if you're only, as mine was for many years, 
My only context and understanding of Dr. King was the I have a dream speech, which is beautiful. It's what I learned at an early age in school. I will recommend to you, and what I, my practice is this time of year and several times during the year, thanks to Levi Heidelberg, who gave me a copy of the letter from a Birmingham jail. I encourage everyone to read that, and as you read it this year, you will see how prophetic it is. I also highly recommend that you listen to, and it's readily available on YouTube or on podcasts, the final sermon, final message that Martin Luther King Jr. preached before he was assassinated just a day before in Memphis, titled, I've Been to the Mountaintop. On that day when he was traveling to Memphis, his plane was delayed in leaving Atlanta because the height of the threats on his life were severe. He says in the actual message that the pilot got on uh, the PA system of the plane and said because the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was on the plane, that is why they are delayed because they needed to go through suitcases because there were threats always on his life. And in the final public words he spoke, I think what we will see is a modern day example of what Nehemiah is going to illustrate for us, and that is this. And if you want to know where we're going, is that to have courageous faith requires significant risk. Nehemiah will risk a lot in what we will read in a moment. Any follower of Jesus, any story we know of someone bringing the hope, the message, the reconciliation, uh, the peace of Jesus is risk after risk after risk, and I am privileged to be a part of a church that could write novels about what it means to risk for the name of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. But what we will also see in Nehemiah is because the risk is tremendous, the response to faithfulness is hard to figure out. It's hard to capture. Not everyone is going to love the risks that are taken for Jesus. In fact, the response to faithfulness in Nehemiah are illustrated in even the risk the responsiveness to the ministry of Martin Luther King Jr. And then we have a final point in the message. But I just want to start our sermon by reading these final words. And I struggle being um, a person of my hue, reading uh, from, from Martin Luther King Jr., but these are powerful words. His final words, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land and I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people We'll get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And the next day, because someone wanted to do God's will, Martin Luther King Jr. was killed. Uh, let me be clear, I'm not suggesting that for everyone who hears these words that we will preach today, that we will look at in the scripture, 
that the risk that Jesus is asking you to take to proclaim his message on behalf of the people and on behalf of his gospel will require you to be in circumstances like they were for he. But they are, and this gospel is costly. And faithfulness is costly. And if it's not costing anything, I wonder what God might say. Today we're talking about the risk of faith, the response to faithfulness, and then this beautiful asterisk of for the record. Risk, response, and record. If you have a copy of the scriptures, we'll be in Nehemiah. We're going to read the last word, the last sentence of chapter 1, and then go into the first 10 verses of chapter 2. Will you please stand for the reading of God's word? Nehemiah 1. I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he'll give me timber and make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy? And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Wonderful narrative. We're going to talk briefly about the risks that Nehemiah faced in his faith, the response to his faithfulness, and then again for the record, Pretty straightforward. The risks of this faith. I see two major risks. There are more risks that are happening in this narrative, but two for us today. Two major risks that we see Nehemiah take is one, his personal comfort, and two, his public, the public perception around him. Personal comfort, public perception. I want you to see first that Nehemiah is risking his personal comfort. I read to you the final sentence of chapter 1 because we didn't talk about it last week, but when Nehemiah says, I was cup bearer to the king, what that means is he was in the king's administration and had a pretty comfy, posh position there. 
Cupbearer specifically would be the person when the wine came or the food came for the king, they would inspect it, taste it, because if the king was going to be poisoned, the cupbearer would be the one who would take the poison on behalf of the king. The, the king's life, what, 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 the, in between life and death was Nehemiah to this king, and not only as a uh, culinary assistant to his meals, but more than that, an advisor a confidant, you see it in their interactions, someone who the king interacted with often. Nehemiah was not, um, was not uh, off into a uh, remote area, living in poverty. He lived in the king's palace. He had prestige. He had safety. He had position. And I love that we learn that about Nehemiah after we learn about his eyes, his vision, and his heart. Because he's someone who is living in a posh circumstance and his heart is breaking for something and his people and a city that are very far from him. It would have been uh, logical, it would have made sense for him to find smaller issues to be concerned about. But he takes a risk by not only having his heart break for the condition of his people and the reputation of his God, he takes a vocational, he takes uh, personal, his personal comfort is at risk with his vocational comfort. As a cupbearer, he had a job, he had a home, he had status, and honestly, for someone who is uh, an exiled Jew, this is pretty much as good as it gets. And it took him incredible courage to risk all of that to speak to the king about what he sensed God was having him do. Now, I want to point out something. In Nehemiah 1, we hear the month of Kislev. And we talked about that was around November. And in chapter 2, we get this indication right away that it's now the month of Nisan. This is March, which means... That what we talked about last week, about Nehemiah's uh, his, his tears and the time and his prayer, his confession, four months, four months not only of deep personal connection with the living God and sitting in the reality of what he's heard about his people, but four months also we learn of concealing from the king what's really going on in his spirit, in his heart, and in his mind. And when he says, this is the moment. This is the moment I'm going to speak up to the king as the king speaks up to me. We see that Nehemiah is putting on the line his very vocational comfort, and in that context, his very life. And we'll talk about that too. Because when, when God moves in our lives and when our hearts break, are you ready for things to change? Now, Pastor Scott, who is with us uh, this morning, just a, a church member with a, with a really successful small business, and God moved in his life, and now he's a pastor, Bill Mead. And I can do this over and over and over again with, with vocational ministry, but the reality is I could give you just as many stories of people in this church that in business, God told them to do something radical, and it cost them cost them their vocational reputation. It was a risk. Nehemiah risks his personal comfort, specifically his vocational comfort. He also risks his emotional comfort. Uh, look what it says in, in verse 2. 
at the end. He said, I was very much afraid. This was an e emotional moment for Nehemiah where when, when he was talking to the king about what God had put on his heart, what he had spent four months kind of scheming with God, hearing from God, it's not, and I want you to hear this Lake Avenue Church, it's not that just because you spend more time in prayer doesn't mean you get uh, less scared. This is a person who has four months of wrestling, fasting, praying, weeping with God. When the moment came, the risk was high. His emotions were still exposed. He was very much afraid after four months of prayer, grieving, fasting, and concealing. And there is plenty of debate at this time as to what place his emotions have in the context of the king. There's plenty who will say the king wanted to surround himself with people who would just, I mean, have we ever seen this? Someone in power who just wants to surround themselves with people who say, you're awesome, keep it up. That is very much a temptation of anyone in power. Pick up any novel over history. All these movies we enjoy watching, and you see the person with power tends to like to surround themselves with people who think they're amazing. And so for Nehemiah to be sad in the king's presence was emotionally risky. Who was he to have emotion apart from his, his, his role as the cup bearer? Faith requires risk, and oftentimes, just like Nehemiah, the risk for you and me is the comfort that comes in our lives. For some, it's financial comfort, vocational comfort, emotional comfort, social comfort. There's so much about what Nehemiah is risking to be obedient in this moment that connects to the very risks that are required for you and me. And I, if we Dig deep into this context, his very physical safety was part of what was being risked. But he was someone who had spent four months in prayer, fasting, having his heart break over the condition of his people, the reputation of his God, that when the moment came to show his faith, it wasn't like a red carpet was unfolding in front of him. Now, what we will see is the response was amazing. In some ways, more than he ever could have asked for. In other ways, more than he hoped for. But he didn't go into that moment confident in the way we might think. I see a Nehemiah who is scared. So scared that during the interaction with uh, the, the, the king, he, he begins to pray and to bring his God into this moment he wasn't, it wasn't like a locker room where he geared up with God before. He needed God in the middle of the play because it was so risky, so overwhelming. Brothers and sisters, personal comfort, risking our own personal comfort is part of having faith in God. He doesn't just risk his personal comfort. He risks his public, the public perception around him. Because Nehemiah is not the only one who has thought, what will people think? What is the outcome going to be? What's the result if I say this, if I do this? What does that mean for me? I think he knew full well. Not only would he potentially lose his life, not only would he lose his, his position, his job, not only would he risk showing the full human experience he was having with his emotions, he actually was risking what people thought of him too. 
Why? Because, and I want you to hear this, he is sharing his grief with the king, and anytime anyone shares grief, grief is a critique. Nehemiah, quite subtly and skillfully, is critiquing the very policies and administ- that this administration has. How can I be here with you while my, this other city under your rule and reign with my ancestors is gone to shambles and my people are in disarray? I mean, he is critiquing his boss's empire. Anytime we share a grief, we are opening ourselves up to bring critique in a relationship you're married or with your parents or with a friend when you decide to share how you are feeling about something that you are basically saying something is not right and when we bring that idea and we risk that something is not right it's because we're bringing critique to someone or something in in verse three why should my face not look so sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire How can I be here with you when this part of your empire is in shambles? Now, he does it skillfully, but grief is a critique. And anytime we share our griefs publicly or with anyone, we are basically saying something or somebody is not right. And he is doing that in this moment. And when you do that, especially with the king, Nehemiah has opened up for all kinds of perceptions about what he is seen as and who he is seen as. Nehemiah was critiquing the policy of the king and anytime we share a critique, our concerns are, we are basically saying that something's not right. The, the other public perception is he's sharing with the king his dreams and dreams are vulnerable. When we share our dreams, when we share what we think God has asked us to do, that is so exposing If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. The cup bearer to the king, send me there because I'm going to rebuild an entire city's wall. That, That says so much to the king about what Nehemiah believes to be true about his life and about his God. And when we share our dreams with someone, that is risky because our dreams expose what we believe to be true. What we believe to be true exposes so much about ourselves. That's why so many people struggle to share what they really dream. So many people struggle because maybe at an early age or at a significant moment in your life, you, you risked and you shared with someone what you believe God wants you to do and, and someone's response to your dreams has stopped many of us from dreaming. See, the risk of following God is, yes, our personal comfort is on the table, but the public perception around us is on the table too because when we share grief, we're critiquing. And when we share our dreams, we're exposing, we're vulnerable. We're opening ourselves up so that people know exactly what we believe about something. The other thing I want you to see is that, uh, that Nehemiah is, is risking when he exposes his faith in God to a foreign king. Now, I don't know in this moment if he pivoted and said, hey, um, uh, King Artaxerxes, before I answer this question, I'm just going to pray real quick uh, to God of heaven. I don't know if it was that public, but I know that in the record, what we see is someone who is interacting with a king 
of a, of a foreign empire, and he's bringing his faith in Yahweh into this moment. That is risky. That is risky then. It can be risky now. I remember when I was 16, uh, very influenced by my youth pastor, I got a job at KB Toys in the mall. It was a great job. And he says to me, when you go to that interview for that job, just make sure, Jeff, they know that you have youth group on Wednesday night and you have church on Sunday morning. And I go, come on, you got to be kidding. He goes, no, do it. And I did whatever he said. And I knew in that moment when I said this was what I'm about, I might not get that job. And I have given that advice a million times to a million people over the time. And not often is it taken, but I, I got the job. Not only did I get the job, I never got scheduled for Sunday morning. I never got scheduled for Wednesday night. Because when we bring our faith into the public space, it's risky. We can't control what people will think. The public perception around us can change in a moment. When we bring grief, when we share our dreams, and when we expose our faith publicly, there's just so much risk in that. It was for Nehemiah and there is for us. So we have the risk, personal comfort, public perception, I think it's important to see, and what I've titled this sermon is around the response to faithfulness. The response to faithfulness. What will folks think? What does the king think? What will happen? What's going to be the outcome? Some level, there is some level where followers of Jesus, we need to understand wisdom and calculate some level. But I will argue that what we see in this moment isn't something that if Nehemiah storyboarded the, the, the plus and minuses, I'm not sure the pluses would have added up for him to actually do anything about it. So it can't always be on that level. Because the reality is, we see two dramatically different responses to Nehemiah's faithfulness. So he does big risk, personal comfort, public perception. And what we see in verse 6 is that the king was pleased. It says in verse 6, Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will the journey take? And when will you get back? And it says, It pleased the king to send me. Because there are times when our faith in God will be a pleasing thing to people around us. The king was pleased in verse 6, but look at who is not pleased in verse 10. In verse 10, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare. So, Nehemiah's job was to do what God asked him to do. The reality is the king was pleased, and there were some people who were very much disturbed and welcome to following Jesus. This has been my experience over and over again, sometimes weekly. God, what are you, what are you, what are you asking of me in this moment? And my job and our job as followers of Jesus is to do what God is asking us to do. The reality is how people respond to what God is going to do us is going to swing from being pleased to being very much disturbed and everything in between. I, I don't see us at this point in the journey having Nehemiah calculate what everybody's going to think about it. We see someone who is so intimately connected with God, he knows what his mission is, that God is asking him to be part of the rebuilding and he risks big time with the king. He risked his comfort. He risked the public perception of him. And the response to him being faithful is the king was pleased. And we got some other people who are very much disturbed. Lake Avenue Church. 
Let me tell you, there are going to be times when we are following Jesus as a congregation, as individuals in your home, where that will be the reaction. There will be week after week, moment after moment, where, where there are some who are going to applaud and say, yes, that is faithfulness. I am pleased. And there are going to be some who go, I am very much disturbed. And then there's a whole bunch of in between the middle. The response to faithfulness is in many ways out of our control. Because not only was the king pleased, look what Nehemiah was able to leverage in this moment. Not only did he get the blessing to go do the work, he got the king to fund the whole thing, to pay for it. He wasn't just pleased. He was pleased and then some. And what we're going to continue to read is they're not just very much disturbed, kind of. They're very much disturbed. And these guys are going to show up again. But what's the point? If our job is to, to be obedient and to risk it all for God, we can't control the response because sometimes people will be pleased, sometimes people will be very much disturbed. There's this really important part in verse 8 that I think bridges those and I'm just calling it for the record so we have risk response and then notice for the record what Nehemiah is making sure everybody understands and because the gracious hand of God was on me the king granted my requests do you see what Nehemiah is doing with the most powerful person in his life and arguably in the world at that time, Nehemiah, at great risk, shares what God is asking him to do. And the response is so positive, it would have been very easy, I think, for Nehemiah to walk back home with his letters in hand and his suitcase of cash and to go, I'm pretty amazing. Look how faithful I am because the king was pleased. Nehemiah does something uh, profound. He connects the success of his faithfulness to the one who is faithful, the gracious hand of God. Because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. Because the gracious hand of God is on you, is on me, is on us, then whether it's pleasure or greatly disturbed or anything in the middle, it is God, ultimately, who is doing the work. And Nehemiah is going to go on, and you are going to, and we are going to see some incredible work that God uses Nehemiah for. And before he's even started the work, he's saying, hey, for the record, for the record, I want to go public here. It was because the gracious hand of God was on me that I was able to do anything. So how do we apply this? Like, one, is there any risk in your routine with, with Jesus? Or do you have a risk-averse faith? Has Jesus ever asked you, called you away from some level of personal comfort? Do you find yourself being paralyzed by the emotions that come with what you know is right? Have you brought those to God in the moment as Nehemiah does? 
Are you potentially so paralyzed as to what people will think or, or owning the outcome? Like, I can't handle if there's some who are very much disturbed. So until I, I'm 95% sure it's going to be this king response of being very pleased, I'm not going to step in faith. I mean, we, we will see ourselves at some level of this story. And as uh, your pastor, I want you to know, I'm learning from Nehemiah too. So I haven't figured this out. I can communicate it confidently. Very different. I'm a calculating Christian myself. And what I calculate often is what Nehemiah doesn't calculate, or what I'm learning to not calculate as much, is what are the reactions going to be to faithfulness? What percentage of people will be pleased? What percentage of people are going to be greatly disturbed? And what can we account for everything in between? Being a church like we are with such breadth, such generational uh, diversity, such cultural diversity, uh, there are, that can be paralyzing. And ultimately, if I'm not at a place like Nehemiah was, and you're not in a place like Nehemiah was, just in deep connection with God, grieving, lamenting, praying, fasting, so that when the moment for faithfulness comes, we're coming from such a rooted place with God Otherwise, we will never seek faithfulness the way Nehemiah does because we'll be too worried about what people's reactions will be to faithfulness. And can we connect the successful moments of faithfulness to his presence? Because the gracious hand of God was on me. Like I have toyed with doing a whole sermon since the middle of March when we've gone into this quarantine about the gracious hand of God on Lake Avenue Church. And I sit in a beautiful staff where you are so kind and generous to thank them for what they do. And I need to let you know, I work with a group of people who go, anything that has happened in this season is because the gracious hand of God has been upon us. Because none of us had the quarantine class. None of us had, how do you, how do you move totally virtually and week-to-week -week living? Can you connect the moments of faithfulness to uh, your faithfulness and the successes that do come to his presence. Are you able to say, because the gracious hand of God was on me, I have courageous faith. I want to close with this observation from Pastor Tim Keller. He, he, he's quick to talk about Nehemiah um, being someone who points us to the ultimate Nehemiah. That what we see in the person of Nehemiah in the Old Testament points to the ultimate Nehemiah in the person of Jesus. And he says, see, Nehemiah, right, in the safety of the, of the palace, um, risks all of that, goes to the king, asks the king's blessing to be a part of this, this rebuilding work back in Jerusalem. But that one day, the ultimate Nehemiah, Jesus, was also in a palace safe. And he left that palace into danger to identify with his people. Jesus Christ, the ultimate Nehemiah, came not at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life to make us citizens of the ultimate city. And Jesus comes not just to rebuild walls of a city, not just to ultimately get us into that, but he comes to rebuild everything. Everything that is broken in you and in us, body and soul, nation and neighborhoods, relationships, family, friends, 
Pastor Joel Cady points out that Nehemiah enlisted the king to help with the rebuilding. But in Jesus, we have this great reversal. Because Jesus is the king who enlists us to help rebuild. And for the record, Lake Avenue Church, this should be relieving. Because this work that you and I are called to be a part of, this work is of him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus has invited us into it all. It's his project. He's with you and me, and through the risks that you and I will take to be found faithful, through the varied responses of the faithfulness that we are trying to follow, because for the record, this is his world, and this is his work that we are asked to participate in. As you go into this week, I pray. I pray that you would be found faithful and that when God asks you to do something at the risk of your personal comfort, at the risk of the public perception, that you would go, that you wouldn't overly think about the responses, the human responses to what God's asking you to do because they're going to be, there's going to be plenty of people who think that what you've done is awesome. There's going to be plenty of people who think are going to be greatly disturbed and, and everything in between. But for the record, do you understand that the gracious hand of God has been on you and on me to be a part of something significant, rebuilding lives, walls, cities, nations. On Wednesday, we will watch a, a new president become president. And, and I will uh, watch that and, and, and enter that moment for what it is. But, but I'm also part, and I pray that you see yourself part, not just of a nation, but a part of a kingdom. And the Lord Jesus is enlisting you and me to partner with him in bringing this kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We need your help to do so, Jesus. Amen.